that's the way it is, man. An adult can get up here and do great, you know. And it's always the children, and we love that. We love that. We love to see them. But uh, we're thankful for all of our musicians, and I'm thankful for a young man to stand up here. It, it is intimidating. It is intimidating. I remember one time I said, when I became a pastor, I will never lead singing or sing a special. And one day early in, in our church, we didn't have anybody to lead singing. There wasn't a lot of people here. And I led to singing. And I was sweating great drops of blood uh, because it terrifies me. And ironically, no one has ever asked my dad and me to sing together. Um, and no one it will if you ever heard us sing. Hebrews chapter 8, would you stand please with me as we honor God's word? Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I shall make with the house of Israel, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and his, none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteous, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more." In that, he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Oh, Father, we thank you for the new covenant. We thank you for the new covenant in Christ's blood. The blood that has been applied to our lives. And we are so grateful and thankful. And we, as one body, say there is nothing better than you. We love you. We want to praise you. May all of our thoughts be upon you this morning. May our attention be drawn to you. And Lord, as we open the word of God and we hear from you, I pray that you would change us, that you would just wring our hearts out, that you would break the stony ground up in our lives. 
Father, we need to grow closer to you. We need to draw near you. We need to be delivered from ourselves and from our flesh and from this world. And so I ask you, Lord, I beg of you, do a work in our hearts this morning. We want you to be glorified. I pray right now that you'd fill me with your spirit and that the words that are spoken would be taken by your spirit and applied to our hearts. Lord, I desperately need you, and we ask you for your help. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, new doesn't always mean better. Have you ever heard an advertisement for the new and improved, and you went and got it, and it was not improved? It might be new, but it was not improved. We've all experienced that. In April of 1985, the Coca-Cola company did one of what uh, marketing and business uh, strategy and philosophers say was the biggest faux pas or the biggest mistake in business marketing. The Coca-Cola, in, in response to many tests that were done, taste tests, and the taste tests that were done, the people preferred the sweet taste of Pepsi over Coca-Cola. So Coca-Cola, so Coca-Cola, uh, amen, uh, so Coca-Cola came up with this idea that they would reformulate the Coca-Cola and they called it the New Coke. How many of you ever remember the New Coke? The biggest flop in business. I am told that at some universities, they teach this in marketing as the biggest flop ever done in business. You see, the new and improved is only as good as what's behind it. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's improved. And when we come to the scripture, the new covenant is far superior to the old covenant. It's not even close. In fact, it is superior to the old covenant. The writer of Hebrews is writing to show us that the old covenant is obsolete because the new covenant has come and that new covenant is far superior. Now, what I want you to see this morning is this. We as believers in this New Testament age, we start talking about covenants. We start talking about blood and sacrifice and entering and all this stuff. And we're like, I don't get this. We didn't grow up under the law. We didn't grow up having to take that spotless lamb and take it to the priest and have the priest to sacrifice it for us and shed the blood and put the blood on the mercy seat and don't sprinkle it and do all that stuff. We never had to do that. So we're kind of aloof to that unless you've studied it somewhat. And sometimes people say, well, how does this apply to us? Well, I want you to see something this morning. What the writer is showing us, and there was a Hebrew audience, hence the name Hebrews, he was writing to them to show them that this new covenant is ever so linked with our great high priest. You cannot separate the new covenant from our great high priest. They are together. And you say, well, you know, I, I, I don't really care about all that stuff. But what, what the writer wants us to know today is, number one, he wants us to know this. He wants us to know that the new covenant is better, and he's going to show us why the new covenant is better. And what this should do, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to leave here this morning rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ and the 
price he paid on the cross of Calvary for you. You ought to leave here inspired, motivated, and you ought to be thankful for Jesus. So let's jump in and find out what he means here. There are three main reasons why the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Reason number one is because of who the mediator is. Who the mediator is. Look at verses 1 through 3. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have a high priest. We have such a high priest. In chapter 7 when he talked about all these requirements of this great high priest, Jesus, he says, He is our high priest. He's our high priest. And he says this, He's not an earthly priest. He is not a priest that was born like everyone else with sin. He is not a priest who has to offer sins for himself. For himself, excuse me. Because he has never sinned. So he doesn't have to offer up a sacrifice for himself. He is holy. He is separate from sinners. Look back in verse 26 of chapter 7. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, who is harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. That's why we can stand in here and sing, there is no one better than you. Not only in position, but in what he's done for us. There's no one who loves us like this great high priest. There was not one earthly priest throughout all the Old Testament that was willing to die for the nation of Israel. For their sins. Nor could they. They didn't qualify because they were not holy. So because of who he is, our mediator, and incidentally the mediator we think of as just a go-between between us and God. It's so much more. The mediator actually also means that, but it means also that he is the ratifier of the covenant. He's the one that makes the covenant effective. He's the one that puts something up to satisfy the requirements of God. That's Jesus. So the first reason is who our mediator is. Number two, because where he is. This is significant. Where he is. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now, if you know anything about um, the Old Testament, you know anything about the tabernacle, there were no chairs in the tabernacle. As a fact is, there was only one seat, and that was the mercy seat, and no earthly priest ever sat on that. That was for the blood. That wasn't for them. Which meant that the priest could not sit down because the work was never finished. But when we come to Jesus, our high priest, because he is in the heavens, because he is seated at the throne of the right throne, the right throne of majesty in the heavens. Because he is seated, seated means it emphasizes that the work is finished. What did he cry on the cross? It is finished. What? The work. The work is finished. You and I do not have to raise a a lamb or a a, a bull and and take it and, and, and make sure that nothing happens to it, to make sure that it's spotless and watch it for a year and then take it to the priest And he offered up on our behalf. We don't do that. Jesus died once for all. And he can sit down because the work is finished. I uh, 
in chapter 9, in chapter 9, uh, and we'll get to this next week, Lord, no, we won't, two weeks, uh, next week's Easter. But notice what he says, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which the lamp stand, the table, the showbread, in the sanctuary behind the second veil, part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides, which were the golden pot and the manna, Aaron's rod that budded and tablets of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim. And he goes on and on and on, and there's nothing in there about a chair. Because the priest had to continually offer up sacrifices not only for himself, but for the sins of all the people. But Jesus is seated. He is seated because the work is finished. I truly hope today that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You repented of your sins and you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're trusting in Him and you're relying on His finished work. Not your ability to be good. Not your ability to quote Bible verses. Not your ability to tithe. Not your ability to attend church. I hope that you are trusting in the great high priest and his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. It truly is finished. But he goes on to say, verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. Where is important here? He is not in an earthly tabernacle that was built by men. He is in the true great tabernacle, the sanctuary. He is in the presence of the Father. And He is there ministering for you and for me. Do you know every time you mess up, the devil, the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren? Look, Look at your, your, your believer there. He calls himself a Christian. And look what he's doing. And the mediator says, it's covered under the blood. He stands up and he says, objection, your honor. It's covered under the blood. And the devil has to tuck tail and take off out of there. I tell you, do you realize that there's a great high priest seated at the throne in fellowship with the Father who's there representing you on your behalf, not because you're good, but because He's good. Because He died on the cross of Calvary. That's why when he's, those, these, young, these men sing that song, there's no one better than you. There's no one. Guys, how much have we made Christianity about us, about the crowds, about the style, and we miss the great high priest, the one who's done all the work, the one who, who loves you. Not only where he is, but what he does. Look at verse 3. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, our great high priest, Jesus, also have something to offer. And he did. He offered himself. 
He offered Himself. Do you know that every lie you have ever told, every bad word you have ever said, even when you're by yourself and no one knows, it cracks me up. People find out I'm a pastor and they're like, Ooh, you know, we, you know, they... I was playing in the golf one night, and I, play, I played in that scramble. And uh, they had a scramble out there, and I was playing at the golf course, and you just pay to get in it. And incidentally, my team won, and I quit. I never went back. I went out a winner. But um, I had this guy, and this guy could not speak a word, a sentence, without the, the, the real bad F word. I mean, every other word. And, and he says, man, he says, I was wondering, you now, I know you, I, they told me you're a pastor. And he said, I, I really struggle with my language. And he dropped it and dropped it and dropped it and so on. And he turned to me one time and he said, oh, you have to pardon my French. I said, brother, that ain't French. <laughs> I don't know if you speak French, but I know what that is, and that ain't French. <laughs> and he was like, oh, man, I'm sorry, you know. And people were oblivious. I was... Uh, when I was pastoring at, at uh, Abundant Life, I went to visit St. Mary's Hospital, and there was a guy from our church. And I was inside the hospital, and there was a big glass door, and I was coming out. And he was standing there, and he, he was lighting up a cigarette, and his back was to me. And I walked up to him, and I tapped him, and I said, so-and-so, I'm not going to say his name, I said, so-and-so. And he looked at me, and you thought you would have seen a ghost, or he had seen a ghost. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not Jesus. I'm not God. Why are you worried about me? You see, we think that if we're, nobody knows, then we can do it and get away with it. But let me tell you something. God knows and God sees. God knows and God sees. And I want you to see this. This is something. Every one of those sins, and you might think, Man, I've sinned so badly, you don't know what I've done. Let me just tell you something. Every one of those sins is covered under the blood. Now, I'm not saying that you go out and sin. You know that. You know that. That's ridiculous. What I'm saying is the price for sin has been paid. Jesus paid it all. He had something to offer. I can't offer you anything for your sin. You can say, preacher, pray for me. I'll pray for you. You all know, I've already told you, I could not be a Catholic priest in a confession booth. Because I'd be doing like, you did what? You know. And you would too. You'd be like on Facebook, man. You know. I have nothing to offer you for your sin. No pastor has anything to offer you for your sin. No human has anything to offer you for your sin. Only Jesus does. This is why it's so bad that we in churches have made church about us and not about the one who's done all the work. We don't deserve anything. We deserve death, damnation, hell. Our hearts are wicked and Jesus says, I have something to offer. I can pay the price. And what he offers is his own blood. His death on the cross. Satisfied. He became the propitiation. He satisfied God's righteous demands. In the day that God said, listen, Adam, the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. The wages of sin is death, not just a physical, but a spiritual death. 
And Jesus, the Bible says, tasted death for every man. He has something to offer. The earthly priest, of all the elaborate clothing he wore that was designed by God, of all the instruments that were instructed to be built, instructed by God, they had all that stuff. In the grand scheme of things, they could not offer anything of themselves for someone else's sin, not even their own sin. But Jesus has something to offer. So what makes this great, co- this great this covenant so great, first of all, is we have a mediator. One who ratifies the contract. Who is in the heavenlies. He's not a human being. He's not someone created like you and I that has limitations like we have. Who has something to offer. Now, verses 4 and 5, we see that Moses and the priests of the tabernacle, they were just shadow of things to come. They weren't the real thing. It was a shadow. It was never God's intent for the law to save anyone. The law was only used as a schoolmaster to bring us to the place of repentance and faith in God. That's it. It was never intended to make anyone righteous. Now look at verse 6. I love this. But now. But now. It's very specific. But now, He, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as He is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, and I'm not going to read it all because here in our, in our Bible, it is quoted in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. That's why a lot of times when it's quoted in the New Testament, you think, well, that word's not like, that's not what it says over there. These guys did that. There's a Jewish audience. And sometimes, or there was a Greek audience, a Gentile audience. And they would quote of the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. And this promise that was made to the nation of Israel as the new covenant, they're longing for that. They're looking for that day. And it will truly be fulfilled in Israel during the millennial kingdom. But for us as believers in Jesus Christ, we already have the blessings of the promise. And that's what I want you to see. As he quotes this and he lays this out for this new covenant with these new promises, this is already applied to your life if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're not, let me encourage you. Today would be a great day. So let's look and see what he says. Verse number 7, For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Now let me just clarify this. God is not saying that the first co- covenant failed or it was not effective. What he is saying is he used the first covenant for what he wanted to use it for. God does not fail. He used it to its ability for what he wanted to use it for so that he could introduce the second covenant, the better covenant. 
It's not a limitation on God. It's God saying, I've used it for what I want and the purpose I determined to use it for. Now there's something better. Something better. Look at verse 8. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. The first thing I want you to see about this promise and this covenant is a new relationship with the Lord. The old relationship was all about keeping law. It was all about that sacrifice. It was all about ritualistic. It was keeping feast, keeping all this. But this new covenant is a new relationship with the Lord. Because Jesus paid the price, you and I have a relationship with God the Father through Christ. I don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to pray with beads. You don't have to pray with this. You can go directly to the throne of God because you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the text tells us that we have the right to call Him Abba, Father, translated accurately, biblically. You can call Him Daddy, Daddy. That in, and that just demote, it denotes the intimacy that we have with the Father. We already have that through Christ. We don't have to wait for the kingdom. We have that with Jesus Christ right now. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have a new relationship with the Lord. That's why it's important to be in His Word. That's why it's important to pray. Listen, I, uh, there have been so many books written about prayer. You know what the point of prayer is? Praying. I mean, we get to be sometimes, well, that person can pray and that person can pray. What does that mean? They use different words than you use? We can all pray. We have a relationship with the Father. Talk to God. Tell Him what you need. Tell Him what's going on in your life. Confess your sins to Him. Have a relationship with Him. Pray. Be in His Word. In his word. Man, I'm reading, I started over again, reading through the, the Old Testament, and I'm reading, I'm thinking, wow. I'm just like those people. I'm stubborn. I'm obstinate. I'm rebellious. Thank God I'm under the new covenant. There's a new relationship. Number two, he says there's going to be a new spirituality. Look at verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. When you came to faith in Christ, your heart was circumcised. You became a new creature created in Christ Jesus. Now listen to me. I'm telling you this. The Bible teaches that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. There is a change in your life. If there's not a change, something's wrong. There's a change in your life. And you and I have a new spirituality. If you claim the name of Jesus Christ and you willfully can go out and live in sin and you desire to sin and you seek after sin, something is wrong. Because when you believed in Jesus Christ, you have that change. Your heart was circumcised. And now... He has changed your desires and He has put in your life 
His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer. And when we sin, He convicts us of our sin. There's a new law in our heart. It's the law of the Spirit. Not the law of the letter. It's the law of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit guides us and directs us. Have you ever started to say something? And you had that small, still voice in your life that says, Don't say it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you and I yield to that, right? Let me tell you. We have a new spirituality. It's not based on being. It's based on doing. Or excuse me, I said it wrong. It's not based on doing. It's based on being. I messed that one up. Our spirituality is not based on doing. It's based on being. We are who Christ wants us to be. We have a new spirituality, church. Number three, we have a new knowledge of God. Look at verse 11. None of them shall teach his neighbor, none of his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, for the least of them to the greatest of them. Now he's talking about in the kingdom. In the kingdom, they won't have to evangelize. All the evangelization will be done. It's his kingdom. But we're here now, right? And we have a new knowledge of God. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can read the Bible. You can, you can understand what the Bible says because you have the same Holy Spirit I have. You can grow in your relationship and your knowledge of Him if you want to. You can. See, isn't it funny how we want to identify ourselves as something? You know, we all want to have these great identifying things. He, he's identified as this. You know, he's a great fighter. Or he's a, a great businessman. Or he's a great lawyer. Or he's a, a great whatever coach. A great blah, 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 blah. And we all want those things to be our identity. You know, our identity is in Jesus Christ. Where are the men and women who want to be identified as a great Christ follower? What would you want them to say when you're lying in the casket and they walk around, man? Boy, he could really coach. Look at the matter. Wouldn't matter. Man, he could do accounting like nobody's business. Really? Not that I know anybody would want to do that, but I'm just saying. If you're an accountant, I'm sorry. I just hate math. Where are the people who want a knowledge of God? Who want that to be their identity? I'm a Christ follower, man. I, I, I follow Jesus. That's my identity. Reminds me of the pastor, and he was preaching, and he was teaching, and he was talking to one fellow, and he said, hey, he said, uh, when you're lying in the casket, and people are walking around the casket, what do you want them to say about you? And this one old preacher, he was a wise preacher, he said, I want him to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> Verse 12 this is, I'm about to have a hairy moment here. Verse 12 is something that has so shaken me to the core this week. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, their sins, their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. There are three words in the Greek language for no. One word actually means no, but convince me. Another one means no, but I might change my mind later. 
And the third Greek word, the Greek word that's used here, means literally no, never. No, never. For I will be merciful to their unrighteous and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more, never. No, never. Little translation. No, never. It's not that God can't remember our sins. It's that He won't remember our sins. Friends, let me tell you something. We have no clue the depths of the work that Christ has done on our behalf. When we stand before Jesus Christ, when we stand before God the Father, when we stand before God the Spirit, we stand on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not on our merits. That's why when he's saying, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. We can say amen. There's nothing better than Christ. We have a new forgiveness. A forgiveness is not like, like it is on this earth. I'll forgive you if you tell me you're sorry and you promise to never do it again. We put stipulations on our forgiveness of other people. Well, you don't know how bad they did this or what, how deeply it hurt. Or you just don't know. I don't know. You're right. I don't understand it. But I will tell you this. The forgiveness we have is to the bone, if I can say it that way. It's to the bone. I mean, it's complete forgiveness. God doesn't hold it over our head. You remember last Tuesday when you did this before and you're doing it again? That's not God. The Bible says if you confess of your sins, He is faithful and just, not us. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, not us. He will no, never remember our sins. Number five, a new future. In that he says a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You have a new future in Christ. Walk in the newness of life. You're not bound by the law. And people get all bent out of shape when I say that. Oh, so you mean we can go out and do whatever we want? That's not what that means. I don't want to go out and do whatever I want. Well, the flesh does. But I don't want to do it. I want to honor Christ. You want to honor Christ. You wouldn't be here. Amen. I mean, if you didn't, uh, didn't want to honor Christ, there's far better things you can do than listen to me talk on a Sunday morning. But you're here because you love Jesus. And you understand that you have a new future. And you understand that your future's not tied up on all these little keeping sacrifices and feasts and all that and all these laws and wearing a suit and tie and women wearing dresses and not having contemporary music and making sure that we... That, that, that has nothing to do with your spirituality. 
I don't know how we could. I, I was sitting here thinking this morning, we have a very good diverse, and this is on a rabbit trail. <laughs> I'm, I'm willfully saying, I don't know how we could be more diverse in singing than we have here. We have contemporary singers, we have hymn singers, we have southern gospel singers, and uh, acapella. Connie sang wonderfully acapella. I always called it singing acapulco. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I guess maybe we could rap. But uh, my point is, guys, listen, my point is this. Here's the main point. He even says this at the beginning. Here is the main point. We have such a high priest. That's the point. He's given us all the promises of the new covenant. You already have. You possess, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you possess all the promises of the new covenant that he made to Israel. You have through Jesus Christ already. Jesus knew all of this long before it was written because he's God. And he willingly died for you and me. Would you please pull up Luke 22.20? Jesus is with his disciples. He's preparing them to leave for his departure. He knows what awaits him. And he institutes the Lord's Supper. And Jesus says, Likewise also he took the cup after the supper, saying, Pay close attention. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. How blessed we are. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to be ready to sing His praises. You ought to be ready to serve Him gladly because He's our great high priest. And these things He has done for us. He shed His blood the new covenant that gives us a new relationship with the Lord, a new spirituality, a new knowledge of God, a new forgiveness, and a new future. But can I also tell you this? It also gave you a new past. No, never will He remember your sins. If you're regurgitating your sins from years ago, that's your own fault. That's not God. Why don't we act like the redeemed? Why don't we really, really surrender ourselves to the Lord, to worship Him, to serve Him, to love Him, to witness for Him? Why don't we walk in that newness of life? Father, we love you. We bow.